So hello and welcome to A Pinch of Magic with me, Rebecca Newin. So today I am joined with A.W. Earl, who is a contributor to The Modern Craft. And their topic is Witch Boys and Devils on the Road, The Magic of Troubled Masculinity. Wilfred, hello, I'm delighted to have you here today. Hello, it's lovely to be here today. I was just saying about your topic, I loved reading your topic and probably particularly the whole Loki and Odin aspect because I have a little boy who's very much into Marvel right now as well. <laughs> and I loved your title. I was like, Witch Boys and Devils on the Road. And I hadn't realised that Devils on the Road was actually a book. So I would love to know why this topic and why this title for you? What's what's the importance of that book for you? So um, so I'm obviously uh, transmasculine um, and I have always been a fan of ghost stories and sort of the weird and macabre. So when I found a book about motorbikes and um, the 17th century and the witch trials and time slips in their school library, it was obviously by a guy who wrote very good ghost stories, by Robert Westall. I was like, yes, this book, give me this book. And what I found there was an exploration of masculinity and what it means to be uncanny and to be other and to have the potential for magic and sort of, I don't mean a cult as in um, spells and, and, and magic books, but um, I mean sort of occluded knowledge, knowledge that is not immediately obvious to other people. Um, in a very modern scientific context, while also acknowledging the supernatural. Um, it's, it's a wonderful book um, about a, a young man called John Webster, who is a motorcyclist, who gets drawn into this historical drama around the witch trials in East Anglia in the 17th century. And it's, the way magic is described in it felt very, very real to me. Um, and it's about, it's about knowing. It's about um, seeing the things that join things together and having knowledge that the other people in your community don't have access to. And as a civil engineering student and a very technologically minded man, Webster also has this knowledge. He can tell when a motorbike is gonna blow its gasket by the sound the engine's making. Not, you know? Um, yeah. and I was talking with Alice Tarbuck about, about well, one of my favourite childhood books, which, which was obviously uh, The Devil on the Road, and, and about motorbikes and about um, the sort of influences on, on my masculinity. And then we sort of segued into presiding demons and the role of cunning men. And it just sort of went from there. And so when I was asked to write something for this book, it was, should I go back to that? because it all sort of came out in this big, long, hour-long ranting stream, <laughs> <laughs> bringing in so much of my magical practice, of, of my beliefs, of, of my sort of path into both transition and paganism. And I thought, hang on, there's something here. So did transition and paganism come at about the same time for you then? No, the paganism came first. Right. Um, I think it presented uh, a way of soothing a lot of... Um, the, the, the dysphoria and the angst um and also i mean this was the the early noughties so it was all very wiccan and uh, goddess worshipy and it found a way of me being able to inhabit femininity for a bit longer i think because mm. it really wasn't a safe time or place to come out as trans especially when you are also queer um it just it just made life more difficult than it needed to be whereas this was sort of a, an, an end where i could embrace aspects of masculinity and a sort of divine feminine which I still work with yeah I want to take you back just a moment you mentioned about your idea of magic and I I asked um Alice and Claire this question as well mm. um what is what is your definition definition of magic I would say it is the ability to enact change in the world Mm. Um, I would refer to cooking as, as magic. I would refer to, to gardening, to bringing seed to life as magic. Um, I think a lot of things that we view, I don't like the term supernatural. I think, yeah. 
I think it is natural. I think it is part of our, our lives and our world already. It's just about being a little bit more in, in tune with it. Yeah, no, I'm fully on board with your definition of magic there. I'm like, when you said cooking, I was like, yes, what do we think cauldrons are, people? They are saucepans. <laughs> we bring all of the things together and create something richer and more flavorful, something yeah. for sharing, something that has been transformed and forged, something that is different from where it started. So, yeah, really love the idea of like bringing that change and the gardening and the growth and you know weeds have their place too let's yeah, weed yeah. is just in the wrong place um so from that definite masculine um sorry from magic the subtitle of your chapter was mm. the magic of troubled masculinity so mm. how does that blend in there for you so one of the things i am interested in is the suspicion that male magic workers carry with them oh explain um, so um, quite often, I mean, just, just in media, even your sort of grand mages with their towers and their flowers are very queer coded. Um, it's an embrace of flamboyance. It's an embrace mm. of, um, the idea is that if or a man wants to solve a problem. theatre and showmanship, isn't it? Yeah, theatre and showmanship. If a man wants to solve a problem, he'll, he'll hit something. He'll do it with his hands. If you're not using your hands or a tool, then you're under suspicion. Um, it's the same way that people say, you know, poison is a woman's weapon. It's why aren't you facing it like a man? Why aren't you dealing with your problems like a man? And in magic use, in, in the use of sort of intangible forces or the use of indirect forces, there is this suspicion that one is being somehow emasculate. And then, and particularly when you move outside of realms of privilege, because you don't have a sort of academic masculinity, there is the sense of it being a sort of underground current that is not quite permissible to men. And so by practicing magic, one troubles one's masculinity. Um, I'm sort of drawing that back to, to the essay and to, to the novel, uh, The Devil on the Road. What you are presented with with uh, Webster is all the models of masculinity he could be. He could be a, a sort of football hooligan type. He could be a sort of wild biker. He could be a sort of young Lothario. And you see him sort of edging on the edges of those and then sort of turning away from them. He's not a soldier. He's not a, he's not a sort of country squire type. He's not a mm. student. He's something just outside of all of those things. And that is why he is a candidate for being the coming in the novel. Do you think when we're on the edges, so we're not quite like stepping into that archetype or that archetype. It gives us mm. more freedom to explore more rather than, you know, when people see themselves as a particular, um, per, a particular archetype in life, they tend to stick with that, you know, mm. whether it's like they're the rescuer or whether of the family or whether they're like the teacher and they always take on that role. Do you think mm. when people say no to those roles, so the football hooligan, the mechanic, mm. It gives us the freedom to explore. I would call it like edge walking. It's like a foot in yes. any of the worlds, whether I would use edge walking often in the terms of, you know, air quotes, the real world and like the spiritual world. But it could mm. easily be that character as well, couldn't it? Like maybe walking mm. a foot in both worlds. He could fix the motorbike or he could step into those other worlds. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's not being able to leave the edges of the physical world, you can't go off and be fully sort of spiritual and transcend, transcendental. It's also not like a monk yeah. or something. But it's, yeah, it's, it's being in that liminal space. And I agree, it opens up so much possibility and movement and change. And being what you would call an edge walker is, is to be a change agent, which is to be yeah. an agent of magic. But I would also say it opens you up to danger. Um, not just that liminal spaces are in themselves dangerous, but you are perpetually the outsider. Mm. But there is no safety to be had there. There is no harbour. And I'm just thinking about that. And I, I, I read a quote the other day and I, I, <laughs> it escapes me right now. But it says we can choose that safe life. But is it really a life lived? Now, of course, mm. I'm not advocating for people to put themselves in actual danger, like in front of a train. Mm. But if we don't take those risks, if we don't allow ourselves to open up to something that is different, mm how how full and rich are our lives anyway anyway you know whether it's the edge walking we're talking about right now or whether it's learning something new 
because mm. I think for me this is like 180 from what we're talking about but with my little boy whenever he says I know mummy my head always goes oh my god those are the most dangerous words we we can ever use because it shuts us down and I think what we're talking yes. about is being on the edge of openness and whilst that can feel scary because it's different maybe mm. even other but it's only that scary because it's not familiar as soon yes. as we stretch into those boundaries and we embrace more of the difference the other the whatever it is then that's our normal and then it's safe yes. again and then we just stretch a little bit more mm. and I, th I think there's great magic in the edges and I think yes. even you know the word witch or people use the word hag mm. and that comes from like hedge which means yes. the edges it's often where witches are seen at the edges of society and again yes. I think it's like that fit in both worlds is yes. that kind of what you're talking to yes that is what I'm talking to a lot I think I'm also talking to people who cannot be rooted mm. um, crucially as in if um, and this is this is why it is troubled masculinity it's so if you are say uh, a builder you are you inhabit a very specific and then you have this open edge to the world that open edge is suspect but it, to who? To the person themselves or to society? To society. Right. Yeah. But you can conceal it in your rootedness and you can mm. sort of embrace it from there. Whereas if you are perpetually on the edge, if you have no rooting, and as a non-binary person, I sort of, I, I feel this, I, I present this very mask these days, I haven't always, um, because it's safe. Because it is safer than presenting very androgynously, than okay. constantly being difficult to see, difficult to read. It's not the only reason I don't just do it because I like it, um, but <laughs> it's there is a safety in it. If people perceive me and put me in the boy box, then I am not constantly open to the danger of being in neither box. Mm. And I think there is a sacred dimension to that, but that always places you outside of um, of any of any sort of home and heart in a number of ways, which is sad because I'm a very home and heart kind of person. Um, and, and belonging to groups. If you, if you are in a group, people like your identity to be static, they like it to be, um, to fit into the, to the bounds of the group. And I think the sort of extreme version of those masculinities that I was, I was looking at are the ones that don't. Um, and to go back to Loki, uh, who mm. I talk about quite a lot in the essay, he's not a god, he's not a giant. He's something through and between and around. Yeah. And it's why he cannot settle peaceably anywhere. He always disrupts his belonging to whichever sort of society or, or place he's part of. It's that energy of shape-shifting, isn't it? Mm. Yes. So you use the word disrupting the environment. Do you think that's a negative thing? No. No. I think it can be. I think it... I mean, it absolutely can be very disruptive and negative and, and like disruptive in a bad way. Um, but I think it can also be healing and changing and it is needed. And this is, this is mm. the sort of the paradox of the troubled masculinity. If people need your change agents, your outsiders, your strangeness. The events of the novel couldn't happen without Webster, but it can only happen because he's not actually from the place. He's not one of them. He doesn't belong and couldn't ever settle down and belong among them. Yeah. He has to be on the outside. And I think a lot about, um, oh, obviously we don't, don't know for certain, but the sacrifice of the strangers at Avebury um, and how you sacrifice the outsider. They can, they can come in and be killed and they can do the thing you can't do. Yeah. They, can, they can take the burden you can't take. And it, it can be at enormous cost to them because in a way for your society, they are also disposable and there's the danger. Yeah, it's interesting because when you, I keep like coming back to that word um, that you use about like disruptive. Mm. And I think you know, the first image that I had come to my mind was like the tower card in tarot of like mm. breaking down the structures. And I know, mm. you know, 
I, I have worked with tarot. I prefer the fun likeness of an oracle card, but I love the story and the richness of mm. the tarot. And I know that you read tarot, don't you? Mm. And it's for me, it's like when people are, oh my God, I've got the tower card. I'm like, oh, that's so exciting. You know, that's brilliant because everything's about to change. And it's like, we need that change. If everything, mm. otherwise we get stuck in a rut and stuck in, stuck in that groove. And, um, and I don't know, there's something about that energy that you're talking about. I'm like, we need to, for me personally, I feel we need to embrace that more to break, not just, you know, destruction for the sake of destruction, but destruction mm. where things become stale, rigid, stagnant, that they need to be mm. opened up, not to the sacrifice of people, please, mm. but, but to embrace that and go, oh, brilliant. What is not so much the learning and, and yes, the learning, but it's like, how can we look at this differently? schooling systems just popped into mind because I saw an article earlier and it's like it's been done a particular way for a very very long time and it doesn't suit everybody we know that and it's it's like those systems it's like we could do with those that disruptive energy we could do with like change you know that change and transformation in I don't know our societal structures to really Mm. enable everyone to become the fullness of who they are obviously that's not very easy for governments to control when we all break free and have our own power but Mm. as a society I feel how much more richer and more beautiful would we be if we could embrace you know you called it like the word troubled but if we could actually see the gifts and the richness in that Mm. kind of energy yes and I think I think you really hit it on there where you say control it is difficult Mm. for governments to control it's difficult to control schools, to control what they are taught, to control what people do and believe and accept. Yeah. But even and there is a fear in opening up that possibility, we break down people's control. And that includes self-control. Yeah. And it includes safety. I mean, personally, I hate drawing the tower um, because <laughs> although it means everything is going to change, it also means you're going to lose a lot of things you valued. You're going to lose safety and security and trust and relationships. They're, the loss is and can be utterly devastating. And I mean, I hope as a change agent, I try to embody more about the hanged man as a card, which is that point of balance where the give and the take are held in a sort of stasis through the the body and the card of the hanged man and the change is coming Mm. there's that moment of delay where the world is the same but will no longer be the same after that point and it's less there's something nice about a nice clear slate that you get after the tarot but it is also and 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 the change of um of the magician that movement of from from heaven that lightning bolt of, of of change yeah that how to, how to say that comes through without destroying but transforming as it comes and that there is loss and there is change but that yeah you don't you don't scrub the board you don't you don't start a new game which you, you sort of have to after the tower but rather the game changes mid-play and it's uh it's it's like you're playing solitaire and then suddenly someone else joins in it's that <laughs> element of change and it's, it is troubling, and it, I, I use the word trouble for a very specific reason, which is that it is a thing that cannot die easily. And I think what those cards do is they, 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 they suggest a state of change where nothing does lie easy. It cannot sit still and static. And in, in my own experience of gender, um, I will consider myself, well, I'm a guy, I'm a man, I'm a mask, and then something will happen. Just, for example, I will be in a room full of cis men, often cis straight men, and I'll go, oh, no, no, not like that. And then I will feel it shift in me, this sense of who and what I am and where I am in relation to the world. And that is why it's, it's troubled. It's that, that one belongs, but one does not, and that can sort of move on a pin in this constant uneasy back and forth and balance does that make sense i think it does um because i think we are always shifting and i think everybody in their situation 
if they opened themselves up to their truth, would recognize that shifting within us. Mm. But I think, as you said earlier, it can be dangerous to change. It can be dangerous to step outside of everything we we know. We, mm. you know, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of years when it was safe for us to stay within community, mm. when everybody had their role. Otherwise, you know, if you stepped out of that, you would be kicked out of community, which would lead to yeah. death. So it's like mm. ingrained in us to what do I need to do in this situation to be loved? What do I need to do in this situation to be safe? And, mm. and I think we're so ingrained into that and people fit those roles and it, it, it feels safe and, mm. <laughs> and it feels okay. And yet yeah. there's something inside them that knows the screaming for something different, whether that's yeah. a change of career, a change of university um, choice, whether that's you know a, a change of relationship, marriage, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, and I think we, when people give themselves permission to really feel that, that's when they start to feel those shifts that you were talking about. But mm. I think people lock it down so tight that then they get symptoms instead. They get, yeah. from my experience as a kinesiologist, people would come to me, they'd have IBS, they'd have um, eczema because their body was screaming that something was wrong. But intellectually, they're like, but everything is fine on the outside. I have this, this, this and this. I should be happy. And what I've noticed is that when people accept who they are and they like reconnect to their values and what's important to them, then those dynamics start to shift. Everything isn't as black and white as they like to have thought it was. It wasn't as, you couldn't squash it in a box and control it because it starts leaking out the edges. But that is why change agents are, they're figures of such desire and also suspicion. I mean, with with Loki, he is he is desired, he is wanted, he is sought after, mm. and but also he is never fully included because we have yeah. that that deep fear of the thing that is going to make that shift happen within us. And I, I I'm speaking mostly metaphorically now, as but as well as literally, if you are perceived as a change agent and have the ability to work as a change agent, there is a suspicion as well as a a sort of a yearning towards and it's being held in that constant balance in relation to others yeah the opening up of those possibilities is frightening people are terrified of that because it will unsettle those things but as you say i mean just think about a histamine system if you are constantly in stress because there are parts of you that you are not opening up you you will yeah your your body will have a stress response and have a trauma mm. response and particularly in masculinity it's very unacceptable to move outside a number of very narrow definitions of what it is to be to be a man um and the do you think that's stigma. changing at all i hope so mm. i mean in certain circles absolutely I, I know a lot of men who really are working very hard to reconstruct their their identities and accept parts of themselves um, but in others, no. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, but outside in like wider circles. Yeah. yeah. No, it's because interesting. Because it feels safe. Yeah. And if and you it, can't be happy, you can belong and that. It's, it's really interesting how when we change our behaviours or anything else, how that affects people around us in ways that we wouldn't expect. So, mm. for example, I in my younger days... <laughs> Um, I used to do a lot of smoking and a lot of drinking mm. neither of which I do now not that that's important but when I stopped even though you would think your parents would say oh my god I'm so glad you've stopped drinking that's mm. you know it's really bad for you my parents thought I joined a cult someone else says you make me feel like an alcoholic and I'm like why because I've ordered water in a, in a bar and it was mm. just like when we change I wasn't I didn't care if people drunk around me. I didn't care if people smoked. I wasn't like, it wasn't um, like, oh, you shouldn't do this because of this. It's like, I felt better doing it. I felt more myself. I felt more present, more grounded, more connected. So I chose not to do something, but instead people attacked me. And I was like, um, I mean, I could understand if I was preaching to them, but it was like, you make me feel like this. And I was like 20 at the time. I was like, really? Just because I ordered a water? This is this is what's yes. triggering you yeah so let alone 
important things you know like mm. we're talking about identities or gender and it's mm. like you know I know how people like leaped at me then mm. you know it's 25 years ago now but um yeah I, th- I think it's in- it's interesting isn't it when we give ourselves permission to change or do something that doesn't fit like my social group at the time or my family's beliefs about mm. you can only socialize if you drink it's suddenly people yeah it makes them question what is possible for them and I think that's the bit that it's like they're on quicksand then they're like oh Mm. shit everything that I thought was true you can only socialize if you're drinking or masculinity Mm. looks like this everything's like oh shit if that's not true what might not be true for me quick let's and somebody we thought was one of us suddenly proves that they are not one of us and they don't actually want to be one of us If, if it is a change in a specific person yeah and that, because people What's assume- What's wrong they, with the way we've always done it? It's like you're rejecting them, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. People yeah. assume that you are on a level with them and then they find out they're not. And there's this, this great defensiveness that suddenly sort of springs up because it's, yeah. oh no, you're actually an outsider. And instead of being celebrated for doing something that was true for you, which makes mm. it healthier, whether it's mental health or physical health or all of it, mm. like you say, suddenly it's like, and you're like oh <laughs> I wasn't quite exp- I was expecting more of a high five thank you very much yeah. Um, <laughs> so how do you take all of that that power or you know that magic that you've spoken about and use it in your own practice because I know you said you identify more as a pagan don't you rather than mm. a witch because mm. which I was like oh witch boys but I, I think I heard last night that you might have said um, which isn't a title that you so much identify with or yeah, I, I don't hear that often. No, no, yeah. you absolutely heard that. I, I, I will call myself a witch boy um, because yeah. I think it's quite a useful, disruptive term. Um, and I do work magic. Um, yeah. And magic. Well, you can work magic without being a witch, for sure. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I see my practice as more devotional than mm. um, action-based. But I think it comes down to that idea of openness. I, I am receptive to the currents of the world and I enact change where necessary um, in myself and in in my actions Um, and it's just I guess it's about almost a radical openness not having certain barriers and and working to dismantle some of the barriers within the self so that you listen to the world and, and to people where they are um, and allow that to be an action of change. Mm. I mean, a lot of my magical practice is what would presumably be called traditionally masculine. It's sort of the ace of swords, they're getting it done. Um, I want this thing, I'm going straight after it. But that only works for me because the majority of my sort of spiritual practice is about listening. And then you sort of bring it together into the forward action, which I would consider more like pregnancy, more like birth. You bring in and in and in and, and, and swell with it. And then when it is time, you push it out. Yeah. I, I do. I really like that analogy because I, I think sometimes people do their magic and it might look like spell and then they sit yeah. back and wait. And I'm yeah. like, we do the magic to open a channel and then we take action. Mm. yeah which is like sometimes it is about timing and I Mm. I've often joked it's like you know it'd be great if we could give birth at like three months because we could sneeze Mm. and that baby would pop out and yet we know it wouldn't be healthy (laughs) you know it's like that baby would not be healthy to come out of that age so we go through the swelling and the waiting and Mm. the discomfort that in that maybe that's just my experience but that comes of like waddling around towards the end come on come on you can make it out and then we have that birthing process. Mm. Yeah. And it's like that squeezing through the canal if you had a vaginal birth or, or being removed, if not. Mm. And taking, having that, that's been created, but it had its own time. But we mm. had to do the steps. You can't yes. just go, oh, I'd love to be pregnant and then not do anything about becoming pregnant, whether that's with a, a child or an idea or you do a lot of writing, don't you? So, mm. you know, you can be like, oh, I'm going to write about this. But unless you actually then write, mm. <laughs> you're not going to get anything 
done at the end yes. of it it's like we can open the channel for magic to bring in the inspiration and the right people and the opportunities but yeah. we still have to show up and yeah. so yeah I really love, I love that you see that as that sword energy right let's, now let's do this yeah. so talk to us about writing as a magical practice then oh interesting because I mean it is it, it mm. absolutely is um I'm I'm very what is it what it says I am distressingly workmanlike about my, <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose that's it it's how how do you make um a story you put one word after another word after another word and you just keep going till you've got a story mm. um but I think that is it but you are making something out of absolutely nothing you are drawing the utterly intangible into words on a page then make pictures somewhere else and there is nothing more magical than that and I guess that's sort of the key in the moment it doesn't feel like magic there have been times when I'm working on a first draft of something I hate first drafts where I'm like wow I feel like I am building a bridge and walking on it it's like in a cartoon you know <laughs> one blank in front of it I feel like that because there's there's nothing ahead of me it's just this big empty gulf um, and so it is but you don't focus on that in the day-to-day -day. you just go well you put you put a word after another and that's the better word here and um, and you fix it and it's going back to the essay this is this is what it's like about um do you mind if I read a little bit no please do um, um it's that how did you know that without seeing it how can you know all that you did not even see it um, and the answer is there are a thousand things already there um the, the part of the novel that's from is they are they're in a cafe and she's saying well this is how you know things about people um and that couple over there she's going to say something to him that's so unforgivable that it will kill him and it happens and he's like you're a witch how did you know that and she and then a motorbike goes past and she says, was that the same kind of bike you've got? And he's like, no. And he tells her what model of bike it is and what's wrong with it. And she's like, well, how could you know that? You didn't even see it. And it's that we know what we know. Mm. We, we have our areas of expertise where we can just look and go, oh, that table's not going to stay up much longer. <laughs> you've, had, you've had some light cowboys in here, love. You know, it's, yeah. it's that. And there is so much study and work and experience and thought and practice that comes down to a very mundane act, but is also intuitive. How do I know which word is the right one to go next? But I seem to manage it, so <laughs> we don't look too closely. Um, does that really answer? Yeah, no, I, uh, well, about words and magic, but no, I want to come back to a point you just made about people just knowing. And one of the mm -hmm. things that I notice is people often come to me and they're like, oh, Rebecca, you know, what, what, what's like my, my, my superpower, my skill, my sole purpose, mm -hmm. and this kind of language. And it's like, it'll be so mundane to you that you won't even notice that it's special because you're doing it all the time. And it's like mm -hmm. when you've written your, your book, it's like you've read those words a million times and by the end of it you might be like oh is that even any good and yet when someone else reads them for the first time with fresh eyes they're like yeah. wow how did you do that and you know by the time you've done the first draft and the second draft and maybe a few more drafts mm. you've you've read those words so many times they're just normal but to someone that hasn't experienced your words or to someone that yeah. I always give the example of my sister I can't I can't cook I just cannot mm. do it I can make you a amazing raw cheesecake but give me like mm. flour and eggs in the oven or, or mm. it's embarrassing I, I try and make cookies for my little boy it doesn't work it just ends up sprawled mm. all over the pan even though I follow the instructions religiously I'm just not mm. a cooker or baker or whatever but my sister she just goes bish bash bosh doesn't measure anything whips up whips it up sticks it in mm -hmm. the oven comes out perfect I'm like how do you do that and she's like oh it's only a cake and I'm like, only a cake to you. But to me, I'd love to be able to bake a cake for my family. Mm. Instead, the local supermarket will have to do. And, you know, I'm sure I could spend time working out what I'm doing wrong or whatever. But it's like the things that are easy to us are our gifts and we don't even realise. Mm. You know, and sorry. I, and, was gonna say, and I think the other side of that is people say, oh, it's a gift. 
It's this sort of great mm. magical thing. People get very um, precious and mystical about the tarot. And I, I don't know, I've been doing it since I was 14. Um, yeah. You just sort of... It's cards. a story, yeah. They're just, they're just there, <laughs> they're just the cards. They'll, it's there. Um, it's fairly straightforward, honestly. But they don't want it to be straightforward. They want yeah. You don't want your sister to say it's just a cake. You want her to impart the great secret of cake making, which yeah. is... Or I just want her to accept that she's a brilliant cake maker. Mm. Yeah, uh, so I can celebrate that for her. Yeah. And she's like, oh, it's just I mean, cake. Just cake. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, celebrating it is, is, is sort of one side of it. People often want to say, you know, how do you write a novel? And I say, well, you, you turn up every day and you put some <laughs> words word, down. Word, word. And it can be hard to sit in front of your computer and type and have discipline and, like you say, showing up. But and people want to say, you know, oh, you go up the mountain and you meditate for six hours and the gods of story come and they plant the idea in your head and then it flows out in this beautiful religious stream. And I'm like, no. Perfect. Just with, without an edit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sit there and spend half an hour writing three words and another day maybe you'll write pages but yeah it is I think a lot of magic is discipline isn't it <laughs> I mean another thing I do is I, I do a martial art and people say oh how do you do x thing that you just did I said, well, I've been doing it for six years yeah you, you turn up you do your stretches you do your strength training you practice and eventually your body sort of learns how to do it until it becomes second nature yeah and I'm not that good incidentally I mean but you see people who've been doing it for 30 years 40 years and they're they're just remarkable yeah but we again I think sometimes our culture we just want to be good overnight because we see we see someone's highlight reels or their success but what we don't see is the blood sweat and tears that took them to get Mm. there you know whether it's a magical practice or whether it's a martial or whether it's baking a cake it's like we forget that actually it's mundane most most of the things that get us good are just showing up they're just discipline their routine their habits their choices good choices so yeah so you mentioned in um your writing that some of that is like intuition and I know that before we were talking you were talking about like intuitive magics what is what is that for you and how does intuition play a part in your life well it is that knowing Mm. it is that being what does that knowing feel like on a tangible level for you well that's that's difficult um it is an awareness of the world and specific awarenesses that come from our experience and our and I mean we do have innate talents we do Mm. have things that we are born that we are better or worse at than other people it's like some people are very, very aware of space around them and can move very elegantly through it. Others of us are innately clumsy and struggle with that and had to learn it. <laughs> yeah, that's me as well. Um, and had to learn it sort of in a very careful way. We spend a lot more, we spend a lot more energy on it. And so I guess it feels like walking down your own hallway in the dark. Oh, that's an interesting thing. Walking down the hallway in the dark. Mm. So your own um, hallway, yeah. You know where everything is. You know know how high the steps are and how many of them there are. You know know where the little occasional table is. You know where the radiator is. You know where the cat likes to sleep. Um, And you get through without bumping into anything or treading on anything because you know Mm. you've got the sense of the space around you because it is so familiar and so aware. And so it is about being aware of ourselves as part of the world. Mm. Yeah, I like but that. When you, are, when you do that, you are also in a state of heightened awareness. You can't bomb down your hallway in the dark in the same way you would if the light was on, even if you're using exactly the same movements and muscles. You yeah. have to just go a little bit slower and more carefully. Just that, that idea of more considered. I like the way you just phrased that, actually. Like you're being like almost like of the world rather than in the world so suddenly all of your senses are more open comes back to the energy of openness again doesn't it like Mm. open and aware and ready to receive that little squeak oh I know that's where the cat likes to sleep or you know Mm. like oh they're coming up to the coffee table whereas when we're running we're in the world and we're Mm. we are almost like 
dominating is probably the wrong word, but it's like, you know, we know where we're going. We're on a mission. We're not really receiving. We're just zooming instead. So, yeah, no, I, I like that. Walking, walking down your own hallway in the dark. Because when I think of intuition, I think when I talk to people, they're like, oh, I knew it was the right thing. So it was really exciting. And I'm like, to me, that's not intuition. That's like adrenaline. That's emotion. Yeah. For me, that that intuition is that you use the word knowing and, and yeah. very unfairly. That's exactly the word I would use when I ask you to go yeah. deeper. But it's like it's that quiet place yeah. in me. It's that that settled. Yeah. Everything is almost you have to listen to it. It's not shouting at you. It's reaching mm. the bottom of the pond. Almost you feel the change in tensile pressure in the in the thing you you're moving through yeah yeah it is and it's, it is very tactile like that actually change mm. <laughs> again I would never have said all oh, the tensile pressure but it is that it's like oh everything mm. just shifted and it, mm. it's that edge walking again isn't it it's like I'm I'm in the world but not quite there because I've connected so how does your like your intuitive magics how does that practice work for you or what was what's your understanding of that I mean bit of a cop-out but it works on what feels right at any given moment I don't um I know uh the magic workers whose practice involves having like a plan and they'll be like on this day I'm gonna do this and I need these tools for it and here's a spell I've written and I've just done a that bit organized <laughs> and I can't imagine being that organized um whereas for me it involves oh you need a thing and I might the phases of the moon or the times of the year or whatever because that always helps but mm-hmm. and then I sort of run around the house in a mad dash grabbing things um shut myself in a room and go okay this is what we're doing <laughs> and it's it's like cooking meals from scratch really you know what have we got in the fridge um what, what do we what do we feel like um and I guess it's a bit like that it's that you know as you move through a woodland which trees are speaking that day you you know when you uh you want to do a protection spell you know what color thread to use you know what color you know what stones i've got a lot of flint and bits and bobs and you know what gods to call on you know who and how and what it's sort of because it just feels right mm. and it's it's yes it's like when you're magicking up a soup from whatever's in the bottom of the fridge you go, yeah, well, if I put that with that spice, um, try this with that, should come out okay. Yeah. I, and I, th- I, I am very much of an intuitive magic type thing, but that is, I think, very much because I am so connected to my intuition that I feel very mm. comfortable doing that. And I also see the, the value of having a spell, which I sometimes refer to as mm. recipes, when you're new, because it kind of gives you a guideline that you yes. can try. Like when, you're, like when you're making that soup, you know that you want to saute your onions, onions first of mm. all to sweat them down, and then you add the garlic you know, towards the end, mm. rather than going, oh, I'll put my onions in after I've done my carrots or something, you know, after I've boiled my carrots or whatever. Yeah. You know that, mm, yeah, it will still be okay, but it might not be as effective. But yeah. I, I truly believe that when we've you know, put our practice in, when we feel confident mm. about what we're doing, when we can hear our intuition and could be confident it's our intuition, mm. that the most potent magic comes when we write our own stuff with mm. things that we have in our house or no things. You know, mm. I believe we can do a lot of magic just with our imagination. Mm. Um, so yeah I like that but again it steps into that energy of being open it brings us right back to the beginning yes. doesn't it of it being does, yes. comfortable to go actually I'm going to do it my way yes I know yes. that spell that someone's done for however long but I'm gonna make it my own and be okay to step out on the edges of what's already you yes. know an edged practice so and I yes. think being open is also being open to other people's things it's like it's seeing a spell and going Actually, that looks like it would work. Mm. I'd like to try that. And um, when you start out, maybe you are more careful and more cautious. Um, I, I certainly remember being more careful and more cautious. But I was doing what I would think of now as magic long, long before I sort of um, identified as a pagan. You know, you would leave offerings places and you would do little sort of movements and, and things to try and ensure things went your way. Um, or that certain things would happen. And it's 
I know children are sort of very prone to magical thinking, and it's that, but it's the development of that into a systematized, well, this, some of this actually works. Yeah. Did you grow up in a magical family? I mean, where did you first like learn that notion of magic, witch, you know, tarot, all of it? Or was it just something that just kind of like fell your way? I had quite an unusual upbringing in a number of sort of um, spiritual and ritual ways. Uh, it had a lot of different forces moving in different directions in it. Um, my parents, I guess the world would be between churches. They were between churches a bit um, during my formative years, um, Anglican and Baptist. So two quite different uh, sets of traditions. Um, I was mostly raised Anglican, um, but we are, an old country family um, in, in a number of ways. And so there was always a sense of ritual and spiritual possibility, not in opposition to, but outside of or alongside mm. the church. The yeah. sense that there was something very real happening in the world alongside and that, that aspect of it always held a very deep fascination for me. I, I often think the people that, um, well, in my own experience, people that have been very, like you said, you're an old country family. There's usually mm. traditions or air quotes superstitions that when we look at with fresh eyes, when we're out of it, it's like, oh, that was what we would call magic these days. You know, like the offerings to like, oh, it's you know, let's put this milk out for the fairies or to Brazil or to, you know, just to the land offerings. And we're like, oh, hang on a minute. That was very much steeped in, you know, they might just see it as like, oh, it's just something we do. Like a friend of mine, she lives in Ireland. And, and she said, oh, you know, if you spoke to some of her neighbours and be like, oh, do you believe in fairies? They're like, oh, no, but they'd still leave the milk offerings out. You know, they were still, they're still doing things, but they've just forgotten why they do them, you know, because it's just what they do. And that's yeah. very much steep, steeped in like folklore. And, you know, I think the UK is very much steeped in folklore and yeah, their, it is. their stories. Yeah. And we're alienated from it as well, which is, is really hard, I think. It, it mm. leads to a lot of lack of fulfillment and spiritual unease in people, but we have this great tradition that we treat with utter scorn as a country. Um, certainly in England, I mean, I've, since I've, I've moved up to Scotland quite recently, it's not similar here. People yeah. are much more in tune with it and, and, and comfortable with it. But there is a real awkwardness yeah. It is oh, interesting, right. actually, because I was talking about a friend in Ireland. I live next door to Wales and is very, very proud mm. of their, their myth. And mm. I grew up in Cornwall, which is, you know, <laughs> pirates and witches and, you know, mm. very much steeped, a little bit like commercial these days. But you're right. When we look at mm. like the mainland part of England, maybe a little less embracing of that on a on an outward you know, people still go to the wassailing and things like that, mm. but it's something they go to. It, it comes yeah. back to what you were saying earlier, isn't it? Instead of being part of it, it's something we mm. do. Yeah, instead of and being... I think, um, do you know much about Morris dancing? Um, I have seen Morris dancing, but it's not something mm. that I have much knowledge of. The English are so funny about Morris dancing. I mean, we, we see it as the height of sort of weird, uncool the sad old men which is tragic I, I, I love that I love Morris I love Morris Morris um love to see the dancers um I've not got the coordination to do it myself um <laughs> yet <laughs> they don't do it in Scotland so I'm off the hook oh <laughs> but there is this deep sense you talk to people they're, they're a little embarrassed about it but of the properness of it how mm. and um where I used to live in in Suffolk there was a side that danced up the door on May Day and during the pandemic, and we were all on quite a harsh lockdown, um, and you could go out for a walk or something, but you couldn't socialise at all. Obviously, it was cancelled. And so uh, my family and I said, well, why don't we'll just get up and go there? There won't be anyone there, but someone sh We felt someone should witness it. We felt that even if there was going to be no dancing, no music, someone should go and witness the door in there. So we went. And... A dancer and a musician came separately, as well as a young boy and his parents. All of us had just felt someone should come. 
Yeah. Because otherwise it's, and I would say probably most of these people weren't pagans no. in any way, shape or form. And might kind of treat Morris as, even though, even if they are Morris dancers, treat us as a little, maybe a little bit silly. And But there was this deep sense that we must do this. Yeah. It must be done. It must be observed. It's interesting, isn't it? To, like to have that deep, I don't know whether it's a knowing or a connection or an honouring to say it's it's not about having all the big dancers and you know their sticks and their valves on their socks and if no one knows what Morris dancing is google it you're in for a treat um, <laughs> banging their sticks and stuff but it's isn't it interesting that you weren't the only family to go this needs to be witnessed and like mm. I say it's, it's not about the bigness of it all it's not about having all of the stuff it's just about being present just to mm. honor and witness that moment and again, the dawn, a lot of, um, I don't know whether you would call them pagan, I suppose pagan's probably the best word for it, but you know, like when we look at the sabbats and all that, it's always the liminal spaces. Mm. It's the dawn, it's the dusks, it's the, through the evenings. You know, we don't celebrate, oh, look, it's lunchtime, let's go have a party. It's like, oh, it's getting dark now, let's light the fires. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a change. We have, yeah, our country really does have that tradition of embracing that change. As a, a mm. Canadian friend of mine, she goes, you couch, she's like, you love your fires, don't you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, every, every celebration we have to have a fire because it's that energy of transformation again, isn't it? It's like bringing also, in the change. It's dark and it's cold. Well, also, and it's fun. Who <laughs> yes. doesn't like looking at a fire? But yeah, come on now, play my game. I, I love seeing the symbology in everything. So yeah, I'm going to go with the transformation and the fire, but no, absolutely. And it's bloody cold in the UK. Let's be practical too. Yeah. Our, our practices answer to our landscape. The, it yeah. sounds very mundane to go, well, it's flipping dark and it's cold, but why do the Vikings love gold so much? And since moving to Scotland, God, I've made Because in winter, there's just no light. <laughs> it doesn't get light. Yeah. Um, so that bit around the solstice, you just have, I would get up in the dark, I would take the kids to school in the dark, and as I was sort of coming back, the sun would be hauling itself over the horizon. Mm. And then it would sort of do a little blip in the sky, and then it would be dark again. And I'd pick them up from school in the dark. Yep. In the dark. Yes. That's a very British well, of course, we valued gold and light and fire. And of course, Baldur's death was such a tragedy. Like, of course. Yeah. There's um, <coughs> oh, a, a book I read by, um, oh my goodness, I can't remember his name. And he talks about, <coughs> oh, excuse me, he talks about how our myth grew out of our landscape. Mm. And I just loved that. Uh, Will Storr, The Science of Storytelling was the book, Will Storr. Mm. And he was talking about, you know, the, the Greek gods where we have our Olympians. It was like people had to go across the oceans to bring things Ooh. back to Greece because the land wasn't particularly arable. They were merchants. And it's mm. like so people went overseas and brought things back. And it's like mm. that's where we have the Olympians. That's where we have our gods that are just like raw <laughs> and winning. And whereas in like the East, you had more of the community because the land was arable. People had to mm. work together. The one person would sacrifice for the good of the community. Mm. And I thought, oh, that was a really interesting way to look at it. And just mm. as you said, it's like our land shapes how we celebrate. It's like, mm. it's rainy and gloomy in the UK. Mm. Let's not pretend otherwise. And it's like, of course, we have love gold and fire and anything that is sensible <laughs> and warm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and I was talking to someone about the other day about the sabbats and it's like, Oh, let's face it we just we have eight because we wanted to party more it was because it was fun not because of anything more like spiritual than that but it again i like the pausing and taking a moment to reflect on each of the, the sabbats that happen so it's like we can make these things our own and and honor the rich heritage but also it comes back to that energy again doesn't it of of anything that is air quotes mundane we can make magical by bringing our intention mm. to it whether it's writing <laughs> it's like that mm -hmm. muse might not come <laughs> but yeah. you're still going to show up and you're going to write because that's how we invite them in by doing the action mm. yeah and just to come back though but the sabbats are informed by the landscape and which ones are important where i mean as i said i'm mm. from kent originally i've not enough said that yet 
beautiful, beautiful sort of farming land, um, nice low soft hills, uh, nice southerly climb. And Lammas is oh, one of the most important sabbats yeah. down there because the landscape is golden. Mm. You can feel it and you can feel that sort of John Barley corn, sacrificial, beautiful. And that was one of the first dreamy to paganism, the very deep truth of that. Moving up to, to Scotland, it's not such a big deal. There's no wheat up here for a start. Yeah. Um, much more sort of um, sheep farming, cattle farming and, and sea. And by August, everything's looking a bit dumb. Yeah. And the weather's turning. And you think, well, that's of course. Like, yeah. of course, Lammas is less significant up here because Lammas is for the grain harvest. Mm. I remember a friend of mine in America, she said to me, she goes, oh, she goes, your, your landscape really fits in with the wheel of the year, doesn't it? And then she went, oh, yeah, of course it does. <laughs> and I was like, yes, because I mean, I was taking photos of snowdrops in February because snowdrops are where I am because I'm right in the middle of the country. And, you know, and then it was it was just like, yeah, because that's my landscape. <laughs> it came from yeah. this sort of archipelago. Of yeah. course it is. It was just the realization when as she typed, she was like, "Oh my god, you're so you're so like in tune with the wheel of the year." And then she went, "Oh yeah, of course you are." Like the Celtic wheel of the year, and I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. very where I live." Yeah. Mm. Um. So, do you have anything else that you wanted to share with our audience today? I think we've we've covered a huge range of topics. Is there anything <laughs> yeah. that you're like, "Oh, have we not?" This is something else that you wanted to add. And as I always say to my groups, no, it's a perfectly good answer. Don't feel like put on the spot. Like, oh my God, I need to have something else to say. Well, I mean, I think we've covered an awful lot. I think, no. I think the other, the thing I might sort of draw back to is just that trying to accept the uneasiness within ourselves at mm. difference and change and strangeness. Yeah. I always like to think of that uncomfortableness and I think something we need to get better as a society is to become comfortable with discomfort now I'm not talking about pain like if your leg's hanging off and going oh don't worry about going to hospital it's just a little bit of pain but it's that emotional and energetic discomfort and I I, I liken it to going to the gym you go to the gym and you work out and your muscles ache they're uncomfortable but you feel a little bit proud of yourself because you know breaking down those muscles is what's going to grow you back healthy and strong and fitter and leaner and everything else but mm. as soon as we do that emotionally or energetically we run away from it and I just you know I always like to invite people <clears throat> to when we feel that discomfort that you're talking about or you know in any area mm. of your life it's just to go oh I'm growing right now this is mm. okay I'm getting like we talk about like stepping out of our comfort zone what we're doing is we're just squashing it we're pushing it back a little bit mm. and very quickly it will become comfortable again. And I always say, just when you like, when you've pulled, you're not pulled, when you've got your DOMS, your delayed onset muscle soreness in your, in your glutes or in your thighs and you drink extra water, you rest, you take it a little bit easy, you go to bed early. It's like, do exactly the same emotionally. If mm. something is like, oh my gosh, I don't, you know, this is, she's not drinking, God damn it, she's not one of us anymore or whatever it is. It's like, okay, just slow it down, drink some water, go to bed early, have some rest and see whether you can grow into that. It's not saying that you have to become it, but whether you can accept it, whether you can embrace it, whether you can say, oh, that's curious. Tell me more. And you stretch into a sore muscle. Yeah. You and not, and not force it. Not don't kind chop of it off. It. You don't <laughs> chop it off, you, but you don't. You also don't flinch back from it. Like when you start mm. to feel the pull you do your yoga breathing and you just let your weight Lean. drop into yeah. it and gently it's not about Very forcing gentle. it it's yeah, not about absolutely. saying i'm gonna stop drinking too or whatever it's just yeah. like oh let me lean into this and become curious why does this make me uncomfortable yeah what why am i let's push my boundary a little just gently gently yeah. and go so where did you stop drinking yeah you know because well, i had a moment thing, of clarity you know. and realized i'd been drinking too much but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that you and I know why did you stop drinking can be quite a hostile question it's not perhaps always the one to ask but it's mm. oh that's a new thing you know yeah. and how, are you, how are you finding that how are you finding that yeah <laughs> not how do you socialize now then <laughs> yeah 
so yeah no I think I think that's really important it's just like just I love the idea of just being open and curious mm. yeah and if, you, if it's appropriate for that person you can just say why did you stop drinking or maybe there's a more delicate way to ask <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or do your own research why do people stop mm. drinking google is wonderful um so yeah can no, you I explain love that. that to me is a really excellent one yeah if someone says something you're unfamiliar with that don't know that one yeah what's that all about because people do like to share they just it's yeah. as soon as people put up their guards isn't it it's suddenly you go yeah. into battle mode and it's like but well, we don't want that we no. want that fluidity that we were talking about earlier that curiosity that liminal space because yeah. really that liminal space is where the magic is yeah mm. so Wilfred tell us where people can find you where do where do you hang out and where um, are all of the books because I know the modern craft is only one of your books um so uh i mostly hang out on twitter um i am at alice dragon that is a-l-y-s dragon um and all and, of this uh, will be in the show notes for people so just so, go down to the show notes and click all the buttons but yes uh and um books can be found um times four which is a gothic horror novel uh so not necessarily for the faint of heart um can be found in all good oh, no. bookshops <laughs> <laughs> that's scary <laughs> not that scary oh, it's okay. gentle gentle bit um they will be able to order it and put it in stock um scars on sound is a collection of short stories uh that is i believe on mostly online availability because it was self-published so it's not in the big distributors but mm-hmm. um and then obviously the modern craft which is the one i'm here today about is all good bookshops again and it is uh, now available <laughs> and it is now available it is out yes Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you today. Um, Thank you very much for having me. It's been a lovely chat.